Oh, thanks, Mike. Okay. okay. Oh, whoa. Step back. Just... Out loud. There you go. Thank you. Hello? Check. That better? Great. Everybody hear me? Up on the shelf? Can you hear me? Great. Okay. First item today. Uh, oh, yeah. Has everyone picked a moving buddy? What? Moving buddy? You can't be serious. Well, I didn't know we were supposed to have one already. Do we have to hold hands. Oh, yeah, you guys think this is a big joke. We've only got one week left before the move. I don't want any toys left behind. A moving buddy. You don't have one? Get one. All right, next. Uh, oh, yes. Tuesday night's plastic corrosion awareness meeting was, I think, a big success, and we want to thank Mr. Spell for putting that on for us. Thank you, Mr. Spell. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, oh, yes, one uh, minor note here. Andy's birthday party has been moved to today. Uh, next we have... What do you mean the party's today? His birthday's not till next week. What's going on down there? Is his mom losing her marbles? Well, obviously, she wanted to have the party before the move. I'm not worried. You shouldn't be worried. Of course Woody ain't worried. He's been Andy's favorite since kindergarten. Hey, hey, come on, potato head. If Woody says it's all right, then, well, darn it, it's good enough for me. Woody has never steered us wrong before. Come on, guys. Every Christmas and birthday we go through this. But what Andy gets another dinosaur? A mean one. I just don't think I can take that kind of rejection. Hey, listen. No one's getting replaced. This is Andy we're talking about. It doesn't matter how much we're played with. What matters is that we're here for Andy when he needs us. That's what we're made for, right? Pardon me. I hate to break up the staff meeting, but they're here! Birthday guests at 3 o'clock! Back home, everyone! Hey, everybody. Welcome to Hope. My name is Scott Raines. I'm one of the pastors here. It is great to be worshiping with you this first weekend of the season of Lent. Uh, Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter, and, and before we get into what we're going to be doing together during the season of Lent, I want to remind us what this entire year is about. We have an annual theme, A Church After God's Own Heart, and I just wanted to let you know a couple of observations that I have already the first six weeks as we're moving in the direction of becoming a church after God's own heart. Last weekend, uh, Super Bowl food drive weekend, I mean, you guys showed up. It was so great. Thank you so much. Uh, for the way that you responded to help meet a food insecurity need, a growing food insecurity need in our community. Uh, we do this every year. Uh, we hope to be able to fill all of the shelves of the food pantries in central Iowa. So thank you for your help with that. I was talking with uh, Tim McGrath, who oversees our missions efforts here at Hope Ankeny. And he coordinates the cupboard, which is our weekly um, food pantry. And then, you know, special events like the food drive. He's coordinating all that stuff. And he said, we had more food this year. We had a great turnout for volunteers. So after the 11 o'clock service uh, last weekend, everybody was over in the commons outside of uh, the reservoir and Cafe Hope, and they were uh, sorting all of the food and getting it ready to be distributed to the uh, food pantries throughout the week. He said so many volunteers, it only took about 90 minutes to get that done. So everyone was able to get home in time to watch the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. So that, I mean, it was a God thing. It was just perfect. I mean, Brock Purdy played well, and the Chiefs won. That's what everybody wanted, right? Not Brian. Sorry, Brian. There's always next year. Anyway, how can there be 49ers fans in central Iowa? That's so great. So that's not what we're talking about. Uh, a church after God's own heart. Friday night was the daddy-daughter dance. 
Christy Schmall is our children's director here. She said there was over 700 dads and daughters, a lot of them from our church, but also a lot of them just from the community coming to the church for this. So it was an incredible outreach opportunity. She said there were over 60 volunteers, and many of the volunteers were daughters who used to come to the daddy-daughter dance. Now they're growing up, they're in power, life, and ignition, and they want to help serve and throw that party for the next generation. That's part of what it means to be a church after God's own heart. Uh, you heard in announcements, we have a Lenten mission project. Uh, we're going to be building churches in Africa. You're going to hear more about that. I hope that you prayerfully consider how you can be a part of, of that project. Again, a way for us to be a church after God's own heart. Now, if we're going to be a church after God's own heart, it's important to know what is in the heart of God. And so that's the message series we're kicking off uh, through this season of Lent. What are those attributes or characteristics that inform our understanding of who God is? How do we think about God? How do we talk about God? What are those characteristics and attributes that are central, that are at the heart of who God is, who we believe God to be? So today we're going to be talking about the idea that God is a life maker, not a life maker, the life maker. Uh, when we have baptisms around here, which we have on a pretty regular basis, we recite the Apostles' Creed, which begins with, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Our Bible reading today from Genesis 1 is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. I want us to read verse 2 together. Genesis 1 verse 2, it's on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. The Hebrew, behind this translation, the, the Hebrew language carries with it the idea of confused and chaotic. The earth is formless and empty, confused and chaotic, and then God goes to work in this act of creation, bringing together, organizing, putting it into a divine order. So you've got you know, the sun and the moon, day and night, light and dark. You get uh, trees and plants and vegetation and animals and birds and fish and by the time you get to verse 26, here's what we read. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So everything that's been confused, chaotic, formless, and empty in these 26 verses, God is filling it up with life. God's filling it up with life. By the time you get to the end of the first chapter of the Bible, God looks over everything God has made, and God says, it is very good. It's very good. This is how the scriptural account begins. It's also how Toy Story begins. Instead of being in the Garden of Eden, they're in Andy's room. Instead of it being filled with the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the creatures of the land, Andy's room is filled with Andy's toys. And in Andy's room, everybody knows their place. Everybody has a, a purpose, everybody has meaning, and everybody knows who's in charge. For, for Woody especially, Andy's room is a place that is very good. Uh, Woody's in charge, and he it is life-giving to him to be the one in charge. He's been Andy's favorite for quite a while now, and so he's kind of calling these staff meetings and uh, giving the directions and the orders and that sort of thing, and he loves it. Life is very good in Andy's room, and then comes Andy's birthday which presents the possibility of new presents, new toys that might replace one of the old toys. And so you saw at the end of that scene, everything kind of goes from being very good, it descends into this disordered, chaotic, confused kind of place. 
And I wonder if we could be 100% honest and vulnerable with one another. I wonder how many of us would admit that's our experience of life in the real world as well. Not, not that we fear we're about to be replaced, but this idea that everything is good, everything is very good, but for how many of us do we go through our days with sort of this gnawing ache in our spirit, worried, concerned that bad news is just around the corner? As good as things are, we know the other shoe is about to drop. Uh, Joan Chittister is a Benedictine nun. She's got a PhD in communication. She's a best-selling author of over 60 books. I like the way she writes about life. See if this resonates with you. She writes, just when we get it right, just when we get it right, it starts to change. The job gets easy, and we know just how to do it, and then we're fired or retired. The children grow up and get reasonable, and they leave home just when it's nice to have them around. That's not the case for us, but it must be for you. Weird, huh? (laughs) The days get less full of work, but we're older now and too stiff to play. The money we never had enough of to spend on extras abounds after the mortgage is paid off, but the desire for expensive travel and clothing and entertainment has waned. Just when we get it right, it starts to change. Uh, Our firstborn is Dalton, and Dalton has always been curious, uh, loves to read, loves to explore, loves to kind of expand his understanding, expand his world. Graduated from Centennial High School here, went to St. Olaf College up in Minnesota, and you know when your kids go off to college, it's a tremendous opportunity for prayer. Uh, You're praying for them to find their people, to find their group, to, uh, you know, find a place where they fit in that they feel like they made the right decision, that they'll find a topic of study they're passionate enough about that it might actually lead to a job after they graduate to be able to pay the bills, that sort of thing. So, you know, we're praying for Dalton. And, and here's the way I prayed for my kids when they went off to college. Um, anytime I'm driving and I see the make and model of car that my kid has, I just start praying for them, for God to be guiding them and that sort of thing. Uh, it keeps them on my mind at a pretty uh, regular basis. So we're praying for Dalton. Early in his sophomore year, he lets us know, he found out about a program they have at St. Olaf called the Global Semester. And he said, there's hundreds of people who are going to apply for it. I'm probably not going to make it. Only 20 get accepted. But if you want to do your prayer thing, you might want to be praying for that. So we were praying for that. And uh, that was early in the fall of his sophomore year. In late February of his sophomore year, I got a FaceTime from him really early in the morning. Like early enough in the morning that you know either this is going to be really bad news or really good news. And it was good news. He was calling to let us know he had been accepted into this global semester. So the fall of his junior year, he was going to get to spend a month in Tanzania uh, in a city right at the base of Mount Kilimanjaro. And then they were going to go to India and China for a month. And then they were going to end the semester with a month in Argentina. And he was so pumped and we were so pumped. It was one of those moments where everything felt just right. So that was February of his sophomore year, which was February of 2020. I know. Like two weeks later, COVID hit and everything shut down. About a month later, they canceled the global semester and he didn't get to go. And I'm guessing as I'm telling you that story, experiences that you've had, similar kinds of experiences, where everything was just right, everything was going exactly the way that you've been hoping and dreaming and planning, then bam, completely out of the wheel, out of nowhere, something happens, knocks the wind out of your sails, knocks you off your feet. 
It's a fall. This is how the scriptures begin. Again, at the end of Genesis chapter 1, everything is not just good, it is very good. And then comes the fall. Theologians refer to uh, sin entering the world as the fall. So chapter 3 of Genesis, Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. At the end of chapter 3, they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. In chapter 4, Cain kills his brother Abel. By the time you get to chapter 6, the the, uh, heading in chapter 6 in my Bible says, a world gone wrong. And we read this in verse 5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Five chapters, you go from everything's very good to everything is consistently and totally evil. That's quite a fall. And then here's verse 6. The Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke God's heart. Our message series is the heart of God. At the heart of God is God is a creator. God is a life maker. God wants to give us this really good life, and it breaks God's heart when things happen in our life that rob us of the life that God has for us, that twist and distort the life God has for us. It breaks God's heart, but we see this pattern time and time again. We see it in Scripture. We experience it in our own lives when everything is good and everything is in order, and then something happens that puts it into this chaotic, confused place of disorder. That happens in Toy Story, when Andy gets a new toy for his birthday. Take a look. Buzz Lightyear to Star Command. Come in, Star Command. Star Command, come in. Do you read me? Why don't they answer? (gasps) My ship! Blast. This will take weeks to repair. Buzz Lightyear mission log, stardate 4072. My ship has run off course en route to Sector 12. I've crash-landed on a strange planet. The impact must have awoke me from hypersleep. Terrain seems a bit unstable. No readout yet if the air is breathable. And there seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. Hello? Oh, yeah! Ah! Whoa! Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Did I frighten you? Didn't mean to. Sorry. Howdy. My name is Woody, and this is Andy's room. That's all I wanted to say. And also, there has been a bit of a mix-up. This is my... Spot, see, the bed here. Local law enforcement. It's about time you got here. I'm Buzz Lightyear, Space Ranger, Universe Protection Unit. My ship has crash-landed here by mistake. Yes, it is a mistake, because, you see, the bed here is my spot. I need to repair my turbo boosters. Do people still use fossil fuels, or have you discovered crystallic fusion? Well, let's see. Uh, we got double A's. <gasps> Watch yourself. Halt! <laughs> Who goes there? Don't shoot! It's okay, friends. Do you know these life forms? <laughs> yes. They're Andy's toys. All right, everyone, you're clear to come up. I am Buzz Lightyear. I come in peace. Oh, I'm so glad you're not a dinosaur. Bye-bye. Thank you. Now, thank you all for your kind welcome. Say, what's that button do? I'll show you. 
Buzz Lightyear to the rescue. Oh. Hey, Woody's got something like that. His is a pool strength. Only it's... Only it sounds like a car ran over it. Oh, yeah, but not like this one. This is a quality sound system. Probably all copper wiring, huh? So, uh, where are you from? Singapore? Hong Kong? Well, no. Actually, I, I'm, I'm stationed up in the Gamma Quadrant of Sector 4. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and embedded in the idea that God is a God who creates is this idea we're talking about today. God is a life maker, but not just a life maker. God is a new life maker. Genesis chapter 6, the world's gone wrong. It breaks God's heart when God sees the extent of human wickedness. It breaks God's heart when everything that God has created to be in order has become disordered. And so God just gives up. God says, ah, that was a nice experiment, but I guess we're done with that. No, that's not what God does. God immediately begins the process of reordering or recreating this world. In Genesis chapter 12, we read about the call of Abram, and God says to Abram, I'm going to turn your family into a great nation. It's going to be good for you, but ultimately it's going to be good for all the families on earth. They're going to be blessed through. This is the, the writer of Genesis pointing us to Jesus just 12 chapters into this thing. Because when you look at the different genealogical lists that show up throughout the scriptures, you start with Adam and Eve, uh, you get to Abraham and Sarah, you get on to King David, ultimately you get to Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus. What we see is it's through the family of Abraham comes this descendant, Jesus Christ, who is the savior of the world. So one way of thinking about the first 12 chapters of the Bible is to see it's revealing a pattern to us. A pattern where you go from order to disorder and then reorder. Let, let's all say these three words together. Order, disorder, reorder. It's a pattern that we see repeated in a lot of different places throughout Scripture. And it turns out it's going to be a pattern that we see God working through in, in each of our lives. Many of you were here on Wednesday night for Ash Wednesday services and Pastor Ashley uh, preached a great message. If you didn't get the opportunity to hear it, go to the Hope Ankeny YouTube channel and you can watch old messages there. But she spent a lot of time in her message talking about the idea of holy uncomfort. And she made it clear she understood uncomfort was not a word, it's supposed to be discomfort. But she wanted to use this phrase, holy uncomfort, as a reminder to us, maybe the season of Lent is an opportunity for us to allow God to make us a little uncomfortable for the sake of growing deeper in our faith. When we're working through this pattern, order, disorder, reorder, the disorder phase is very uncomfortable. There's going to be a lot of discomfort here. Let's look at some examples in the Bible of people and groups of people who go through this phase. So uh, Abraham is the father of Isaac, who's the father of Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons. One of his 12 sons is Joseph, and Joseph is his father's favorite, kind of like Woody in Toy Story. And so his brothers get jealous, and they sell him as a slave to the Egyptians. But in Egypt, Joseph ends up rising to become like the prime minister, the second in command. So we see this pattern in his life, order, disorder, reorder. And it actually shows up a couple different times as you look at the life of Joseph. Think about the Exodus story, the, the central story of the Old Testament. God rescues the people from slavery in Egypt, parts the Red Sea. They're on their way to the Promised Land. And then they make a golden calf, an idol, and they start worshiping this golden calf as though it is the God that rescued them from Egypt. They end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years before they make it to the promised land. Order, disorder, reorder for the people of Israel on the Exodus. 
There's an entire book in the Old Testament, the book of Judges, that just shows the people of Israel going through this pattern time and time and time again. It starts where everything's great, they're worshiping God, everything's going the way it's supposed to go. And then they are tempted to worship idols. And then they get conquered by their enemies. And in their oppression, they call out to God for help. And God sends a deliverer, a rescuer, a judge like Samson or Gideon or Deborah. And they tear down their idols and they return to their worship of God. But they just cycle through this pattern of order, disorder, reorder over and over and over. In the New Testament, if you look at the life of Jesus, you see this pattern. He's 30 years old, he gets baptized, he begins his public ministry, he's teaching people, he is uh, healing people, doing miracles, he's announcing and demonstrating the good news of the kingdom of God. And Jesus does that for three years, and then he gets arrested and nailed to a tree. He dies and is buried, and three days later, his the resurrection. Order, disorder, reorder in Jesus' life, or language that you might be a little more familiar with, life, death, and resurrection. Life, death, and resurrection. And Jesus talks about this pattern that he goes through in John chapter 12. Verse 24, we'll put it up on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. This is Jesus describing this pattern. In the context of his life, he is the kernel of wheat. And he gets planted in the ground. He gets buried in the ground. He dies. But his death is not the end. It leads to a resurrection, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Order, disorder, reorder in Jesus' life or life, death, and resurrection. Have you noticed that our world seems to have been created by God to be constantly going through this pattern of life, death, and resurrection? That's what the season of Lent is all about. When, when you look at the origin of the word Lent, where does this word actually come from? It comes from an old English term that simply means spring or springtime. But that term comes from a Germanic term, I have no idea how to pronounce, that means long days or lengthening of the day. Have you been noticing that's what's happening? We, we have a, a big window by our dining room table, and a couple of weeks ago when we would sit down for dinner at night, it was dark out. And now it's light out. And even when we're doing the dishes and cleaning up after, it's still light out. The days are getting longer because the death of winter is coming to an end. We're being resurrected. We, we live in a part of the world where we love to complain about the weather. Did you complain Friday morning when you got up and there's snow everywhere? Like, where did that come from? A light dusting. Oh, really? Uh, anyway, I also hear a lot of people who say, I would not want to live in a place where I didn't get to experience the changing seasons. And I don't think it's just because it's what we're familiar with. I think it's because we're created by our life maker God, just like the natural world is created to go through this process, you and I are created to go through this process over and over and over again in our lives. Jesus is talking about his own pattern of order, disorder, reorder in John chapter 12. And then he talks about this pattern for you and me in the next verse, verse 24, uh, 25. It's on the screen, read it out loud with me. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Jesus says something very similar in other places in the Gospels. If you try to hold on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, Jesus says, 
you will save it. Part of what we see, the wisdom of Scripture, is that life consists of moving through this pattern. If we want to grow, if we want to mature in our faith, if we want to give God permission to do this transformational work in our life, it is necessary, it's a requirement that we work through this pattern, not just one time, multiple times in our life. Uh, the, the examples that we looked at earlier from Scripture of order, disorder, reorder, most of those you got into the disorder phase because of sin. Your sin or, or somebody else's sin moved you into that phase. But you look at Jesus, and it wasn't Jesus' sin that moves him through this process. Jesus never sinned. So, so part of what I want you to understand, I think this is really important as we're considering this idea. Sometimes what moves us into the disorder phase is our sin, mistakes that we make, but not always. Sometimes what moves us into the dis disorder phase of our life is a disruption to the norm. Think about uh, Toy Story, kind of a silly example, right? But when Buzz Lightyear shows up, it's a disruption to the norm, and it moves Woody into this disordered kind of face. And it was nobody's fault, nobody sinned, it was just a life event that happened. Can you think of any life events that you go through that end up being a disruption to your norm? I remember when we uh, became parents. It didn't take very long for me to, uh, to realize, huh, Wendy seems to have a lot less time for me now that the baby is here. The baby was a really good thing, and the baby was a disruption to the norm. Lots of really good things in our life can be a disruption to the norm and can move us from this phase of order into this phase of disorder, but ultimately it's going to lead to uh, new life, a place of reordering. Good things can do this, can disrupt us, and not so good things can disrupt us. Do you, do you ever get an email from the IT department at work saying it's time for you to change your password? What an annoying disruption. Are you kidding me? And then I type in, I, I, I always type in the same password to see if they'll just let me keep the same. <laughs> nope, that's too similar. And I just try to change a little bit, too close. Now it needs to be 27 letters long, Plus, anyway, it's just ridiculous. That's not what I'm talking about. Disruptions that are not good in our life, that move us from order to disorder. A loss of a job, the end of a, a relationship, a breakup, um, diagnoses that come your way that you, know, you didn't want, you weren't expecting, scary, accidents, tragedies, of course, the death of people we love. Anytime we experience a disruption to the norm, it feels like suffering. And it feels like suffering because the disruption forces us to let go of what we know. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you let go, if you give up your life, for me and for my sake, for the sake of the gospel, you'll save it, Jesus says. So the wisdom of Jesus is to become people who develop the kind of faith where we are more and more comfortable all the time with the disruptions of life. Again, this is how we work this process. This is how we move through it. This is how we grow. We get more and more comfortable with the disruptions. Before we move on from disruption, we need to talk about uh, the disruptions that are caused by our sin. 
You know, marriages get disrupted by affairs, whether it's physical or emotional. You can talk about the disruption that moves us to a disordered place because of addiction. And anytime you say the word addiction, people immediately, you know, they only think of drugs and alcohol. But of course, there are other addictions. For, for whatever reason, we've deemed them socially acceptable addictions. I'm just a workaholic. Dig a little deeper. Why might someone become a workaholic? Is it possible they're addicted to success, addicted to wealth, recognition, reputation, being needed? Some people are addicted to the next fun thing, addicted to adventure. And if you dig a little deeper, the reason they're always looking for the next adrenaline rush is because they haven't developed the kind of faith to be comfortable with uncomfortable disruptions. And when the disruptions start to feel a little too painful, oh, let's go, what's the next adventure? What's the next trip we can plan? On and on and on it goes. So, some people are addicted to being right, and they have this stubborn refusal to admit when they are wrong or uh, to say I'm sorry. It leads to disorder in relationships. I don't know what it might be for you. Some people are addicted to control. Some people are addicted to helping others. Addicted to people-pleasing, addicted to keeping the peace, conflict avoidance. It might be really good for you this season of Lent to wrestle with God around this question of order, disorder, reorder. Where in my life do things feel out of order and why? And it might be important for you if you're in a small group. That might be an interesting conversation to have in your small group. What feels disordered in your life? And why? Now, the good news is this pattern, order, disorder, reorder, this pattern tells us that God has more life for us. Maybe your life is really good, that's awesome. God has more life for you. Maybe your life feels really out of control and chaotic and disordered. God has more life for you. That's the good news. Order, disorder, reorder. We're always moving in the direction of reorder. God has more life for you. What doesn't feel like good news is to understand this is actually the path. The path to the more life that God has for us is always going to go through disorder and death, and that's hard. Think about the people of Israel. On their way to the promised land, they're wandering in the wilderness and they start complaining, and in their complaint they start to long for the good old days of slavery in Egypt. Oh, if only we could go back to slavery in Egypt. They are longing because moving forward and growing has become for them too big of a disruption. It feels too uncomfortable. It feels too hard. They're longing for what's familiar, what's comfortable, what's easy. I want you to watch this video. I think it's a pretty good summary of what we've been talking about today. It's not a preacher or a theologian. This is a basketball coach. It's Kara Lawson. She's the head basketball coach for the Duke women's basketball team. And she's talking to her players about this pattern, order, disorder, reorder. She's just using different language. Take a look. I, I was talking with, with Shay a couple days ago. And one of the things we talked about was um, how we all wait in life for things to get easier. Think in your own life if you've waited for something to get easier. Oh, I just got to get through this and then it'll be easy. I just got to get through preseason and then it'll be okay. I've just got to get through 
my junior year of high school and then the classes are going to get easier. Or I've just got to get to my spring and my senior year of college and it's going to be easier. It's what we do. We wait for stuff to get easier. It will never get easier. What happens is you handle hard better. That's what happens. Most people think that it, it's going to get easier. Life is going to get easier. Basketball is going to get easier. School is going to get easier. It never gets easier. What happens is you become someone that handles hard stuff better. So that's a mental shift that has to occur in each of your brains. It has to. Because if you go around waiting for stuff to get easier in life, it's never going to happen. And then what happens? Oh, it's so hard. Oh, I can't do it. Oh, this, I don't know. When, it, when is it going to be easy for me? Oh, it's easy for other people. It's not. It's hard. And the second we see you handling stuff, handling hard better, what are we going to do? We're going to make it harder. We're going to make it harder. Because we're preparing for you for when you leave here. Not just basketball and life. And if you think life, when you leave college, is going to be all of a sudden get easy because you graduated and you got a degree, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. So make yourself a person that handles hard well. Not someone that's waiting for the easy. Because if you have a meaningful pursuit in life, it will never be easy. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Uh, confession, I don't particularly like that. But I think she's right. Life doesn't get easier. I, I would add this, life does get better. As you grow, as you mature, as you learn to ha handle hard better, life gets better. Think that life, what scripture tells us, what creation tells us, Life is this series of birth and death and resurrection, just these miniature series of birth, death, and resurrection until our final death and resurrection. And so we become the kind of people who develop the faith to handle hard better. And the, the longer I follow after Jesus, the more convinced I am Jesus has the resources we need to be able to do this, to handle hard better. Look at this verse from the end of 1 Corinthians 13. Let's read it out loud together. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So love is the goal. God created us because God is love. God created this world because God is love. The goal is for us to experience that love and understand that love in greater and greater levels all the time. As we go through this process over and over again, every time we get to the reordering phase, there should be a growing awareness and experience of God's love. So love is the goal. Faith is what helps us actually do the work. It takes tremendous faith to trust when we're in this season of disorder, to trust that it's a good God who is guiding us through this. A good God who has some new life for us at the end of this. And it takes tremendous hope when you're in the darkness of that disorder phase. It takes tremendous hope to trust that there's enough light to keep moving forward even when the way isn't clear, even when the way seems uncertain. So God's given us these gifts of faith, hope, and love to move us in the direction of new life and more life. I know it's a hard sermon, so that's why we have video clips from Toy Story. Uh, Buzz and Woody go through this process. For Woody, it's when Buzz shows up. That becomes a very disordered uh, time for him because he's worried he's about to lose his place. 
Buzz enters this time of being disordered when he realizes he's not a space ranger, he's just a toy. But they move into this reordering phase as they learn to relate to one another in different ways. They learn they have to relate to one another in healthier and healthier ways, in more loving ways, to help them reunite with the rest of Andy's toys and ultimately to reunite with Andy. Take a look. Great! Woody, the rocket! The match! Yes! Thank you, Sid! Let's stand up. Uh, we're not going to make it through life without falling, but maybe as we journey through this season of Lent together, we could learn to become people who have a greater level of trust for God's love and for God's grace, and that could help us become people who fall with style. Thanks for worshiping with us. Let's sing together.